ready to take a ride. Grab your coffee and strap yourself in, because the show is about to begin. From the front lines of America, Babylon, and transmitting worldwide on the internet and satellite, you are listening to Omega Man Radio Network with Shannon Davis. Brother Gary, welcome aboard. Well, thank you, sir. All right, we've got our very special guest on. Would you like to introduce her? I don't know who that could be. (laughs) (laughs) That would be me. (laughs) Brother Gary, you're not old enough to have Alzheimer's. Could that be Castle Andrews? Uh-huh. That's the one. Oh, my goodness sake. Well, good evening, good morning. Where are you? I'm sitting at my desk drinking a cup of coffee. Where are you? (laughs) All right. Well, if you have coffee, we're ready. And I would like to have you open us in prayer if you'd be so kind. Oh, I would love to. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just praise you and I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you for um, Shannon and for um, Pastor Gary. And I just, Lord, I just love you so much. And I just ask you right now, Lord, that as we come into this time of being on this podcast, that you would allow us to talk about the things you want us to talk about and that you would allow us to um, share with the world how you love them, how you love, you love your children and you love your family. And I just praise you and I thank you. And for anyone that's listening in that does not know you, Father, I pray that they would come to know you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I just love that prayer. And uh, I'd like to say uh, good day and good evening, wherever you are, fellow listeners. And uh, how in the world are you? Well, that's a good thing to say because you're all over the world and some of you are enjoying breakfast, others dinner. And uh, it's great to have you back. And uh, we have a guest today named Castle Andrews. You may find myself referring to her to Ricky, uh, which is her nickname. And uh, I grew up uh, as a young married man living next door to a Ricky. So uh, I may find myself saying Ricky, And uh, you'll forgive me, of course. And uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to have her amaze you with her testimony in just a few minutes, with a short introduction beforehand. And to our first-time listeners, well, welcome. We usually have a guest most every week, and. They vary from week to week, so there's a little bit of everything for everybody. And uh, give us a try for the next month or so and see what you think. I guarantee you, you will not be bored. And towards the end of the program, we'll be taking worldwide communion, so you may want to get some bread or a cracker, and a, how about a glass of wine or grape juice so you'll be ready to take communion, or if uh, caught you a little bit off guard, whatever you'll be using, for God is more concerned with the repentant heart than what's in the cup. Okay? All right, so we start our program with Castle Andrews, and I want to tell you um, she's got a testimony probably unlike anything you've ever heard. So uh, 
Castle, uh, would you be so kind to start at the time of three? You were an only child, and you were born in the southern USA, so give us an understanding as to how your life began at age three. Well, um, I was born, and then I, my mother and I, uh, I never knew my father, so I don't, um, I don't recall a father figure in being in my life. And, um, but my mother and I were living in a small apartment and, um, more like an efficiency type apartment. And we, um, we were home. It was late at night. Um, it was dark out and, my mom was in the kitchen and I was in the living room and I was over by the couch playing. And all of a sudden, um, there was a hard ruckus at the door. Uh, someone was just beating on the door. Um, and I went toward the door, but my mom came out of the kitchen. She, um, reached the door before me. And as she, unlocked it and she the doorknob turned to open the door the door just burst open and uh this man came in he was very angry very very upset and he he and her started arguing he um was slapping her around and beating on her and i was you know i was about knee high at the time and i just started uh, beating on his right knee, you know, kept hitting him. And I was like, you know, don't hit my mama. Don't you hit my mama. And so he reached down and picked me up and set me on top of a dresser. And um, my mom had turned and ran toward the bedroom. And she, um, uh, and I could still see her because it was just uh, a big open room type thing. And um, he ran toward her and she, he grabbed her from behind from grabbed her left shoulder and spun her around. And then he backhanded her and she fell across the bed and he jumped on top of her and he cut her throat and she, and then he was gone. And the next, and I was still sitting on the dresser crying. My mother was uh, dying on the bed and um, all these, you know, the dark sky turned into nothing but flashing lights and people peering in, trying, people standing in the streets, trying to peer into the room, you know, to enter our apartment. And then there was, you know, the police officers and um, everybody going, the medical people going back and forth. And I remember one one officer standing at the side, at the side of the dresser that I was sitting on, she was, she was holding on to me. And, um, and I don't, and after that, it just, everything ended. And, um, I saw at the age of three, I witnessed, I was in the room and I witnessed the murder, my mother's murder. And, um, and that was the last, I became an orphan that day. And, um, you know, I pretty much remained an orphan the rest of my life until I was 26, and um, and then God adopted me, and best thing that ever happened to me. Well, so, I understand, uh, Ricky, that uh, that there was uh, a lot of uh, of uh, time of being orphaned and. Uh, mm -hmm. finding the people that uh, you were in foster homes were abusive. And uh, do you want to share a little about that? I can. Um, after the age of three and after uh, being transitioned into different um, people's homes, uh, into different places, um, I was adopted by a couple 
that had just gotten married and they adopted me and I stayed with them until the age of 10 and they got divorced. During the course of that time, the, um, there was some abuse, some physical and verbal abuse that was going on. And then after the divorce, I went, um, um, with the woman that adopted me and I, I stayed her daughter, uh, for a period of years, five, six years. And she, um, was very verbally abusive to me. She, um, at the age of 12, she would take and she would dress me up and take me to nightclubs and, and, um, and, you know, men would just take advantage of the situation. And, um, and then at the age of 15, um, her sister, my, my aunt at the time, um, decided that I wasn't being supervised correctly. So she petitioned to take custody of me and my adopted mom and her and I went to a judge's, uh, judge's counter, you know, uh, judge's, um, chambers and they talked and I remember the judge telling my, my mom, I call, you know, of course I called her mom, but, um, she, uh, he told her that I was her responsibility until I was 21 or I was married. And, um, I found out later in life that, that my aunt, I, I actually have a piece of paper from the court that shows that my aunt had petitioned to take custody of me. Um, but apparently, um, she, the, my mom did not want to give up or I guess admit failure is what I'm, the way I'm looking at it. Um, and so she would not sign me over and, um, and everything. But a week later within, within the week after, after this meeting with the judge, um, she came in and, uh, I was over at my grandmother's house and, um, I, I came in, she came in and she threw a dress down on the bed and she looked at me and told me, put that dress on. And I didn't want to put the dress on because it was way too short for my taste. And I said, I don't, I don't want to wear it. And she said, put it on. And I said, why? And she said, because you're getting married. And I said, I don't want to get married. And she slapped me and she said, put the dress on, you're getting married. And so I went outside, put the dress on, went outside, got in the car. Um, there was a guy in the back seat and she told me his name, um, his first name. He, she didn't tell me his last name. And she said, um, he's going to be your husband. And off to, we went two or three counties over to, um, a, a small justice of the peace office. And they told me whenever I got out of the car, not to say anything except two words. I do. And, um, and I, I went, I was so, uh, so scared and so overwhelmed at that moment that whenever I went before the justice of the peace and he was, you know, do you take this woman? Do you take this man? When she, he said that to me, everything, I, all I said was, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. And everybody in the room just cracked up and the judge just laughed. And he said, boy, she's so, she's really anxious to be his wife. And everything inside of me was like, no, I don't want to be, but I can't say anything other than these two words. And I had practiced them so hard in my head that whenever I went to say them, they just rolled out of my, out of me. And, um, we went out and to, um, get in the, uh, back in the car. And this guy that she had gotten me married to, I remember him handing her a hundred dollars and, um, 
he took me and um, he was very abusive to me um, for months. And then one night he put me in a, a vehicle and he to- took me to a place and he said, you know, and he locked me in a motel room with a guy and he told me, he said, you're going to make money and left me and told me that if I did not, if I did not make money that he would kill me. And I, I was so afraid and I ended up, um, I, I actually ran away that night and, um, I took off and I said, you know, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And so we ended up, um, getting separated and everything. But then a few months later, um, my mom at the time, um, took me to a court, took me into a courtroom. I sat down behind, you know, next to the judge and the judge um, gave me a lecture because my mom at the time had told the judge that she didn't, she, she advised me not to marry this guy. And that was just wow. such a big lie. I mean, just such a huge lie. And I sat there in the, and I, in, in front of everybody in the courtroom, all these people I did not know, I was ridiculed and humiliated for, um, for, being anxious to marry a guy that I did not want to even be around much less married to. And, um, I could not say anything. I could not tell the judge anything I could not say, but, but she, you know, she made me, I couldn't, I couldn't say any of those things to him because it would have gotten me into deeper trouble with, with them. And so I just, suffered the humiliation and went on. And then after that, there was some other things that happened. And, you know, um, it was just from that, from that time, um, I just, I was in and out of different situations that were just extremely abusive. Um, just taken advantage of, um, over and over and over um, by many people, you know, because that's, that's the way life taught me is you just, anybody can do anything to you and you don't have a say in it. You know, anybody can, anybody, you know, you don't say anything. All you do is take it and all you do is, you know, um, act like you like it. You know, I mean, if, you know, you, you, you don't, you put on this big front and you say, yes, sir, no, sir, you know, and you smile, you know, and, and that's what I learned how to do most of my life. And well, um, I understand, I understand that God entered into your life and, uh, you, when you thought you had no future, Life was a living hell, and uh, tell us about that. Well, um, I had early on in life, at the age of 10, uh, I was sitting in the back of a car. I was being taken from one place to another. I was sitting in the back seat. I could barely see over the, the door frame out the window, and... Uh, I was sitting there and I watched this, it was a Sunday and I watched this car pull into this parking lot in front of this restaurant. And this guy got out, he took and put on his suit jacket and he uh, opened the back door and this little girl popped out and she got out. She had these cute little bobby socks on with lace and she had um, black patent leather shoes on and this little dress with the ruffles and everything and her hair was like in ringlets and he took his hand and he put his finger, his, 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 um, finger down and she grabbed hold of his finger, put her little hand grasped it around his finger 
And she, he walked in and she just skipped right along beside him into that restaurant. And I was sitting there and it suddenly hit me that our lives were different, that my life was different than that. And I had, um, I had heard that, you know, that God had those that he had chosen or predestined, um, you know, I'd heard some, I wasn't raised in church, but I'd heard some, some scriptures and some definitions of what people, um, call Christians, you know, the chosen people. And, and I just, at that time, I had this vision that God and Satan stood up before time, before the world, and they chose teams and, you know, just like a baseball team. And he, you know, God would say, well, I'll take him. And say, so it was like, well, I'll take her. And, and it got down to me and God did not choose me. Satan did. And, and the reason I believe that was because if God had chosen me, and this was just my thinking, if God had chosen me, my life would like, look like hers. And so I, um, I believe that all my life and, um, the deeper I got into the older I got, the deeper and further away I got from being that person that I thought God loved. Um, I just decided one day that there was no way of escape and that I would just, you know, there was no sense. I knew I was, I, I knew I was headed to hell. And so I took and I went and I got a, I got a butcher knife and I sat down on the edge of my couch and I raised the butcher knife up above my head and I swung it down. And just before, I mean, right before it hit, you know, I stabbed myself in the stomach. I, I, all of a sudden I was on a payphone down the street around the corner and I woke up, it was like I just woke up and I heard my voice say, I want to know the God that created everything. And there was a guy on the other end of the line and he was like, I know him, I know him, I know him. And I'm like, I'm, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, what just happened? I mean, like, I was on my couch and now all of a sudden I'm down the street around the corner on a payphone, talking to somebody I didn't know. And I was saying, telling him that I wanted to know the God that created everything. And uh, he was saying, you know, he's telling me all these things. And I told him, I said, look, I don't trust anybody. I don't even trust myself. You know, if the God that, want, if the God that created everything wants to know me, he will come and knock on my door and introduce himself to me. And, you know, some other things you know, were talked about and some other things were transpired during the course of uh, the next hour or so. But I told this guy, I, you know, I, I'm going to go in and I'm going to sit down. I've got a Bible. Um, I didn't understand it. I'd tried to read it several dozen times and it just made me angry because the words on the page did not make sense. And, um, so I went in and I told him, I said, I'm going to go in. I'm going to put the knife on one side and I'm going to put the Bible on the other side. And if God, the God that created everything wants something to do with me, I'll be alive in the morning. If not, I will pick up that knife. My mind will snap and I will cut myself to ribbons and I will die and I will go into hell to where I belong because there's no sense in me dying and going to hell. You know, I mean, there's no sense in me putting it off. I might as well just die and go on. And so I was determined that either God was going to want to know me or I was going to go ahead and go to hell. And I went in and I sat down and I did exactly what he said. And I remember sitting there and I would, I, I would look at the Bible and I would think, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. And I would just cry. And then I would look at the knife and I would say, Oh God, I'm going to hell. And I would cry some more. And eventually I ended up 
waking up the next morning, and I sat up on the, I was face down on the floor, and um, I sat up and I looked around, and I thought, you know, I'm still alive. And I didn't, I didn't feel like I knew, like, knew God. I did not, you know, I didn't have, and, and this is the way I reasoned it out. I didn't feel like moving to China, and I didn't feel like grabbing 300,000 tracks and going out and hitting the streets with them. Because <laughs> you know? that's the only two things I knew about Christians, is they either move to China or they pass out tracks. And um, I didn't feel like doing either one of those things. So... Um, I got up and I was standing in the kitchen and I was looking around and I was just, I was at a loss and I had a little dog at the time and she started running around the front door and, um, I, I was, I just did not want to open the door and let her out. And I tried to convince her to just, you know, just go use the bathroom on the floor. I'll clean it up. And, but she just kept on and kept on and kept on. And, um, I finally gave in and I walked over and I opened up the front door. And as I opened up the door, the most amazing thing happened. And I still cry over this today. So I'm going to try not to cry when I tell you this part, because this is, this is to me, it's, I'll never get over it. Um, I opened up the door and all I had told this guy on the phone the night before, that I wanted to know the God that created everything. When I opened my door, all of creation was there. There was a tree in front of my front door, and I thought, where did that come from? <laughs> and the, the leaves and the sun and the, the sky was the most amazing blue. The clouds were just perfect. And I, and, and I heard birds chirping. I don't think I'd ever heard a bird chirp before that day. And I was standing there, and I was just in, I was so awestruck that I just couldn't move. And then all of a sudden, this breeze just blew. It was like a warm, gentle breeze. And it, it didn't blow around me. It blew through me. And as it, it blew through me, I could just, it just felt like it just went right through every pore in my body. And I was standing there and over my right shoulder, I heard the most sweetest thing. And I heard Jesus tell me, I'm here. And I dropped like a rock down on the ground and I sat down and I reached around and and um, this Bible, I don't know what ever happened to that butcher knife. Never, I, it, to this day, I, it, it, it had disappeared somewhere in the course of the night. But my, that Bible was still there, and I, I put that Bible in my lap, and it just, the words just started breathing off the page to me and just became so alive. And I just started started reading, and I started walking and I started talking to God and he led me to, you know, some very good people that, um, prayed, you know, prayed with me and everything. But, um, but I, from that day until now, the, the things that he has done in my life, the places he's led me, the things that he's done, allowed me to do with him, um, it's just been amazing. And I mean, and, I and you, know, you, you know, the, uh, excuse me for interrupting, okay, but the, the, the most amazing thing is that you're listening to a woman with a sixth grade education and the <laughs> Lord turn this all around and tell him, what your qualifications are today? Ooh, um, well, I um, and by the way, it's a fifth grade education. I I, I I didn't even graduate fifth grade. I mean, Jethro Bodine has a better IQ than I mean, a better. Uh, he's got more of an education than I do, but and um, but 
um, right now today, uh, God has led me. I went, I went to uh, Bible Institute uh, soon after I came into knowing Him, and then uh, I've I have uh, graduated two years of ministry school with another uh, another place, and then uh, I'm a certified professional life coach. And I'm in the process of learning how to be an identity coach and um, learning, the, you know, how to help people come into that true identity of who God created them to be. And, and God is teaching me. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm forever learning. And um, the thing that he's, he's, he's taught me and he continues to teach me is that all that stuff that happened to me from the time that my mother was murdered until I met him, and even things that happened to me after um, I came into the kingdom, because my, you know, there were still abusive people in my 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 life even after um, uh, I came into the kingdom. Not in that sense, but you know, people that just lied to me or told me things that. You know, I believed, but then God showed me later that, you know, that's, that wasn't him, you know, um, and he, he walked me into the truth and God is all about being, you know, being a true God. And he taught, you know, he formed us and knitted us together in our mother's womb. But when we're born into this world, there's an enemy of God that wants to take hold of us. And he wants to to rob us of everything that God planted within us. And, um, you know, our true identity, our gifts, our talents, our, um, our makeup, I mean, everything about us, the, the enemy wants to, you know, wants to, um, to take away from us. Yes, I uh, I totally agree with you. And Satan didn't want you to study at Lakewood Bible Institute under John Olstein. And he didn't want you to graduate two years later from the uh, School of Encourager School of Kingdom Ministry in Houston, and he didn't want you to become certified in leadership and coaching. And I, I see a great war that took place, but God was the victor, and you were the victim, and you turned that all around, gave your life to the Lord, and the mm-hmm. Lord started building you into mm-hmm. a, a certified professional life coach and mm-hmm. CEO of Rescued Love, a 501c organization, and suddenly others who had been there where you had been are finding the Lord, they're finding their destiny, and mm-hmm. they're finding hope, love, and caring of a loving God. Oh, yes. He actually, it was funny because you mentioned, you know, that I'm the CEO of uh, Rescued Love, Inc., um, it's a five hundred one c three charitable organization that the Lord blessed me with, and um, I asked him. I said, "What do you want me to do with this? What do you, you know?" Because when I went to the Secretary of State and got my certificate, you know, got my uh, license, you know, got my paperwork in with them, and then um, the name. I asked him what you know <laughs> about the name of the organization. And the Lord said, call it Rescued Love. He said, why don't you call it Rescued Love? And I went, oh, okay. You know, so I did that. And the Secretary of State approved it. And I, you know, 
um, was transitioning into, you know, what, what am I going to do with this? And so on and so forth. And I asked the Lord, I was actually, I was writing, um, I had gone down to Lake Jackson to do some banking and I was riding my Harley up highway 35 and I was just kicked back and I was listening, you know, just spending time with God and, um, and everything. And I asked him, I said, well, what do you want me to do with this? I mean, what do you, you know, what about this and what about that? And, you know, I'm always asking questions. I'm always asking God questions about, you know, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me? And he, he's, you know, when I ask him things, he always answers me. And I was riding my Harley and I was just kicked back. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do with this, you know, rescued love and and everything? And he's told me, and I almost fell off my bike. I mean, I just, I was like, are you kidding me, Lord? He said, I want you to take my love, and I want you to show others how my love can rescue them out of anything, out of any Say that again. Say that again. He, he he said he, he he explained to me that his love, the love that he gave me, that rescued me, could rescue anybody, and he wanted me to take his love and share it with the world and show them that his love can rescue them out of any situation, out of any circumstance. Is there anything else that you would like to uh, share? I know that you've been through uh, exposure to mercury poisoning, and uh, oh, yeah. and I know your 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 husband uh, was also exposed. So no, do no. you want to do you want to say anything about that? You don't have to. And yeah, if you no. just want to focus on the things that you've written or uh, that we can, you can refer to that would okay. uh, help us uh, along the way. Okay. Well, um, I, um, my, my husband and I were married in 1997. And we were married for 15, 15 years. Um, we had, um, we were truck drivers. I was a truck driver before I met him. I learned how to drive a truck and I was making a living as a truck driver. And then I met him at one of the places where I, I was a trucking company that I was working at. And, um, we got married, um, and, um, we had been, uh, we owned our own trucks and we were leasing them to um, companies and everything. And then when the Y2K scare came on where everybody just wouldn't ship anything, nobody, nobody wanted to ship anything and nobody wanted to receive anything because they were afraid that the computers, that the system was going to crash and everybody, nobody would know where anything was. And so our trucks kind of stayed still for a while. And, um, so we decided to park our trucks and, um, we went to work, uh, at a, uh, place that was hiring drivers as, you know, company driver is what they call it. We decided to become a company driver for a while. And so we went to work driving ce a cement mixer, you know, he, he and I went to work for this company and we were working there, and then in 2000, March of 2001, um, we, you know, we, we started working right before Y2K, and then March of 2001, me and seven other guys um, were out on a job site, and um, we uh, got exposed to mercury. They had, there is a commercial building that we were working at and um um there was me and seven other guys and we ended up getting exposed to uh the 
the property that the place that was there had buried that somebody had rented that commercial building over the course of time and they had buried 55 gallon drums of mercury all over the property. And, um, we did not know that. And, um, we got exposed and then, um, the news, um, team came out, the state told them that they could only list it as 50 times higher, the legal limit for the state of Texas but it was actually 90% higher. And so within a few months, uh, within about a month, all of us started having upper respiratory infections and we started having, you know, aches and pains and flu-like symptoms. And then we ended up in the emergency room. Um, my good friend and um, co-worker, Gary Morton, um, he um, was experiencing, told that he or he when they took him in they called our primary care because we all use the same primary care um and told him that uh Gary was showing signs of the beginning stages of lymphatic lung cancer and so they hospitalized him and kept him there and then um at the same time I showed up at the hospital uh, because the, my whole left side just went numb, and um, the doctor, you know, my ner- the the triage nurse at the doctor's office told me that I needed to go to the emergency room because I could be having a stroke or a heart attack, and I needed to get there. So I drove myself to the hospital, walked in, and they started checking me out, and they kept me for a week. And at the end of the week, they came in and told me you know, that I was dying, that I would, I was, I was basically dying and they didn't know how to fix it because they didn't know what was causing it. We did not, at this time, we did not know that, um, we had been exposed. You know, we did not know anything about the, the, the contamination at all. Um, but the doctor, you know, she came in and she stood at the foot of my bed. My husband was there and um, she said, you know, well, uh, we found out what the problem is. And she said, all your organs are shutting down. And I said, okay. And she looked at me and she's like, no, not okay. If your organs shut down, you die. And um, I just, in my spirit, you know, when she said the word die, in my spirit, I heard, whose report are you going to believe? And of course, you know, I went, uh, yours. And so she, she said, um, she said, yeah, if you're, you know, we, we don't know what's causing your organs to shut down. You're going to die. And I said, no. And she just kind of looked at me like, this woman is just not getting it. <laughs> and, uh, so when, when was this? This was in, uh, it was in September or the end of August of 2001, you know, we were contaminated in March and then in 2000 in, 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 in August, the end of August, first of September, um, I, I was in the hospital with my organs shutting down and, um, you know, of course she, you know, she told me that I was going to die and I just looked at her and I told her, I said, look, I said, I value your opinion and, you know, that's something that every doctor wants to hear. But I, I said, I value your opinion. I do. But, you know, God has brought me through so much in life. And he's, you know, he's got me to hear. And I said, now, I may go out in a drive-by, but I'll be dang if I'm going to go out in a hospital bed, you know. And she just shook her head, looked at my husband like, she's not getting it. And she walked out and she told the uh, told the people at the desk, the nurses at the desk to put me in for discharge that I wanted, I didn't want to die in a hospital bed. I wanted to go, I, I wanted to go home. So they sent me home to die and they put me on complete bed rest. And the next day I was laying on the couch and I was, I had the news, the news on and it was muted. Uh, my husband was getting ready to go to work and we were kind of chit chatting back and forth as I was laying there and um, all of a sudden, I looked at the screen and I saw this 
image on the screen. And I went, man, that looks familiar. And I unmuted the TV and there was this big story and it was the building where me and these other seven guys had worked, had been working. And it said, as soon as I unmuted, it said mercury contamination in the city of Alvin, 50 times higher than legal limits, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, it, and I went, what? And so I set up and I watched this and they were rolling these credit, you know, kind of like credits. And I checked off just about every, every symptom, everything. And I was like, check, check, check. I, and, and I told, I told my husband, I said, I think I just figured out what our problem is. And, um, and I told him, and then I called Gary and I called some of the others and I'm like, I think we've been exposed. And, um, from that day on, you know, it was just one thing after another. And within a year of, of our contamination, a year, year and a half, um, of that day, um, at that time, all the other seven guys had had died. I was the only one left alive, and I'm still the only one left alive. But you know, I know that God, you know, God told me, you know. No, I'm you know, said, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, God is in control, and uh, mm-hmm. there are people that are listening right now that don't have that peace of mind that you have, and that comes from accepting Jesus Christ as your Mm -hmm. Lord and Savior. For it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Mm -hmm. the next verse goes on to say, for few remember the verse that follows, for God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved, saved, saved through him. And I Amen. just want, I want people that, who don't have that peace, who you're standing and the other seven are gone, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and God is showing his grace and his mercy in dire circumstances. He's causing the medical profession to be wrong because they don't know what God's plan is for your life. And uh, I want you to know out there that you have an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And I hear someone saying, who, me? Do you know what I did? Well, Move over. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Scripture says. All have what sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So now you people out there who have never given your life to the Lord, I want you to do this now and say with me, say with me, Lord, I know that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sins. You conquered death. Three days later, and rose to sit at the right hand of God the Father. Of my own free will, I accept Jesus Christ into my heart 
to be my personal Lord and Savior. To be my personal Lord and Savior. And Father. And Father. I will live the rest of my life. For the glory of Jesus Christ. For the glory of Jesus Christ. Of my own free will. I invite you, Jesus, into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. And I ask you to cover my sins with your blood that I may be a child of God. Okay, now let's take the bread. And we talked about early on. And I have a cracker, and uh, it says in the book of salvation, and that's in the Bible, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. And the Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I take that bread now, and I break it, and I eat it. You, too, let us do it together. Thank you, Lord. And I remember, Lord, that you took 39 stripes, on your back before going to the cross. And I also realized, Lord, there were 39 known diseases known to man. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And why did Isaiah, uh, 700 years before the crucifixion of Christ, Say these words, by your stripes, I am healed. So many of you doing this for the first time may see a change in your body, just like Ricky did in all probability she should have been died uh, died uh, should have been dead in in months instead of outliving everyone else you too can have this promise a part of your life and I want to say this in second Corinthians 6 2 verses 16 through 18. And God is speaking, and he says, At the acceptable time, I listen to you. Oh, and listen to this. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And it goes on to say, I will dwell in them, oh my God, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I shall be their God, and they shall be my people. And it closes with, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I tell you, that's not religion. That's a relationship and the love of God that was shown through the testimony of Castle, you know, Andrews. And I want you to know one other thing, and it's very important. When... She was 15. She gave birth to a boy. 
because she would have been sold into marriage at 15 years of age. And at 15, she went to an unwed mother's home to give birth to a baby boy instead of aborting that child. And I want you to know that if you were to turn to Planned Parenthood and it start in 1923, it was known then as League for Abortion. League for Abortion. And... Oh, <laughs> my wife told me I got carried away here, and I <laughs> forgot to take communion, and, uh, <laughs> well, I'm normal, and uh, at least hopefully, and uh, let us take that communion, and uh, I'm sorry about that. I'm just so overwhelmed by what we've heard today that I kind of lost track. And in the same way, you take your cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the blood that covers the sins that allows you into heaven because of God's sacrifice through his son. Thank you, Lord. That is the first time I've ever done that. <laughs> so sorry. So, I didn't mean to kick you off your game. <laughs> well, I tell you, God is using imperfect people to do miraculous things. Great message and he's today. Using you, Ricky, <laughs> to open doors and give them the opportunity that you had for eternal life. Amen. That's my whole dream. Brother Gary, great word today. Yes, and uh, just remember those things that she mentioned in her message uh, about the... uh, Programs. Could you name them again, please? The the programs. Your, your organizations. Oh yes, um, I have a website. It's rescuedlove.org. R e s c u e d l o v e dot org. And um, anybody can email me from there. Contact me from there. They can. I have a blog that I'm learning to do. I'm still. Um, learning to try to settle down to stop long enough to write something down and share it but I you know I would love to and if anybody wanted to contact me they can just go there and just click on the contact page it comes directly to me Amen Amen I want to thank you and uh, for those listening uh, it's also JustInTimeMinistries.com, you get all the information about our ministry that's been a part of uh, Omega Man Radio and Shannon Davis, and uh, we turn it over to you, uh, Shannon. My friend, what a powerful testimony today with Sister Castle. I want you to get her back on, Brother Gary. I know she has more to share, and um, we'll have this up in the archive here in just a bit. Uh, Sister Castle, is there an email address uh, if people would like to write to you that you might want to give out? 
Uh, yes, uh, they can uh, castle, C-A-S-T-L-E, like the building, at uh, rescuedlove.org. Okay, great. Castle at rescuedlove.org. I'll send you a copy of the show there. And folks, uh, to contact uh, Brother Gary, justintimeministries.com. Another home run for Jesus, Brother Gary. Thank you so much for setting this up today. It was powerful. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, we have Jesus Christ to thank. Amen. 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 Sister Castle, Amen. what an honor to have you on, yes, and we, we hope to have you back on again real soon. Okay, well, just let me know, and I'll, I'm, I'm available for you. Fantastic. I love you guys. Love you, too. God I bless you. I love you more. <laughs> Folks, uh, stay tuned. Let's get Brother John on. That was a great word. Here we go. Omega Man Radio has been commissioned to invade deep into enemy territory, drive out the hosts of hell, and take back the land. Our mission is to preach Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the only name written under heaven by which men might be saved, cast out demons, and pray for the sick that they may be healed in Jesus' name. If this program is a blessing to you and you would like to take part in this harvest of souls, join with us and attack the hosts of hell by donating any amount online at www.omegamanradio.com. You may also donate by sending check or money order to 9030 West Sahara Avenue, Suite 665, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89117. We thank you.